Swami Satyanand Saraswati is one of the most acclaimed tantric masters of our time. This collection of his lectures and satsangs from the late 70s and early 80s represent the core of his teachings from the tantras. Like a pearl diver who searches the ocean to discover the perfect pearl, Sri Swamiji explored the mysteries of the tantric texts and scriptures and distilled their essence into these priceless gems. Enhancing this invaluable knowledge with his own personal experience and wisdom. He generously shared this bounty with aspirants the world over in a manner that is practical, simple and relevant to each one in our own times. This CD is being released on the occasion of the Golden Jubilee of the Bihar School of Yoga and the World Yoga Convention 2013 in humble dedication to Sri Swami Satyanand Saswati, our Master, whose everlasting grace illumines the auspicious journey of yoga and spiritual life. We are proud to present this collection of his teachings to inspire you on your spiritual path with prayers of peace, plenty and prosperity for you and your family. Haryom Tatsat, Swami Niranjan. Mantra literally means which frees or liberates the mind. It seems that the pristine glory of the mind is uh, mixed up with the elements of avidya and something has to be done to remove the karma, the effects and the samskaras. For that, the practice of mantra is to be done. But mantra should not be done, should not be practiced in the same spirit as we practice meditation. With a lot of stress, with a lot of tension, with a lot of stiffness in body and mind. Now, in fact, meditation need not be practiced. Meditation is that state of mind which happens. So, during the practice of mantra, you have to employ different methods like practicing the mantra with the natural breath, with the ujjayi breath, in uh, different parts of the body like in the spine or in the forehead, or in the psychic centers, that is the chakra of Kundalini. There are many more ways in which the mantra can be practiced. And by the practice of mantra, 
then the then the mind transforms itself the awareness of mantra transforms itself in tantric system the mantra is considered to be, to be having varna varna means color every sound every mantra has a color of its own according to the classification of the tattvas according to the classification of the three gunas and according to the classification of seven levels of consciousness seven levels of consciousness these sounds have various colors and these colors often appear during your practice in the science of swara yoga which is also a branch of tantra it is said that when you practice chidakash dharana when you close your eyes and concentrate on the frontal part of the brain with your ears plugged and eyelids pressed you can see the flow of these tattvas every 1 and 1/2 minute it is not necessary for me to tell you which color is represented by which element it will be necessary for you to study that in detail what is the relationship of a particular color with a particular tattva with a particular state of mind emotional stress or peace of mind relaxed state of mind or tension lot of passions and excitement or just living like a vegetable and different states of mind they represent the effect of a particular color in the brain and in the mind the mantra shastra the books on mantra say that these mantras again in the form of sound are also located in different parts of the body these sounds as you may have studied in the science of acupuncture the different points of meridian the different uh, points of chakra and the flow of energy on the pathway there are different points where each and every sound is located the chart of this is well defined in the tantric system now when you practice this mantra then the mind throws away first of all as i told you colors then figures forms then sounds then maybe some of the nightmares those who are practicing they should be prepared to face this if you do not want to face this and if you can't face this then you won't achieve anything because the further stages of mind the further stages of spirit or the higher stages of your own self 
are can can be contacted can be reached only after you cross over this unpleasant unwanted barrier not before that you will have to face your fears you will have to face your own nightmares there is a quality of mind which we have accumulated for a very long time through association with our various incarnations through our association with our people through our association with our own hangups we have accumulated what are you going to do with them are you going to reach the land of spirit with that donkey's load is it possible or will it be necessary for us to shed that away now therefore the meditation in tantra begins with mantra where practice alone is emphasized and experiences are not emphasized but they are accepted you will see forms as i told you you will see colors you will hear sounds you may see even christ or krishna or rama or even me it doesn't matter that's you that's you and not the spiritual you that dirty ignorant you that impure yourself which you have been protecting in your bosom for long long time it is that ego it is that it is that divided field of energy not unified field of energy it is that divided field of energy the ego the ahamkara the hard shell and then when it begins to break when it has broken it is almost broken then there is an emergence what we call yantra yantras are not geometrical diagrams imagined by some artist they are the mathematical or scientific equation or scientific symbol of everything that is existing in this world in this universe in this material form this is my gross form but i have another form in this universe that is called yantra i have a yantric form every element every visible and invisible thing the sun and the moon and the planets the great oceans and the mountains and the forest and the animals say anything you like everything has a different form and that form is known as yantra and yantra therefore represents matter and space at the same time it is not necessary for me to tell you what the modern scientists think about these geometrical diagrams in relation to the symbol symbolism of matter in relation to the symbolism of the universal processes there are many universal processes which you take to be granted you accept them but you don't understand them i have been talking to you and you have been understanding more or less how are you how are you understanding it just because you know english or just because you know yoga or just because there has been a programming in your mind already about these things so you understand no there is an inexplicable process of understanding inherent in the quality of human mind which we don't know which the scientist also will not be able to know it is a very baffling it is a very baffling question how do we understand and what is this process of understanding in the same way the process of understanding 
and other processes in this universe cannot be adequately put into a form unless you give a symbology to it. You understand? A symbology has to be given. And this symbology is of two types. One, the tantric symbology. Another, mythological symbology. Mythological symbology like Egyptians, Greeks, Hindus. They have mythological symbology, Kali, Durga, and uh, many others, you know better about it. Those with half animals and half fish and half serpent and half beautiful women, half dirty and ugly women, some black and some white, some four hands, some six hands, some eight hands, some are very benign, some are very um, cruel, uh, some are destroyers, some are preservers, some are compassionate. These mythological symbols of which we know from Egyptians and Greeks and Hindus, and Hindus have the most, they represent those invisible processes taking place in the universe. And this exactly happens with the practice of mantra, then you develop what you call yantra. And what are these yantras? During the practice of mantra, after some time, you begin to see circles or streak of lights or a point. And this point is important, which is called bindu. In Tantra, Bindu means drop, Bindu means point. This particular point is the minimum conceivable concept of space. It is to this extent you can reduce the grossness of the mind. If your mind it can be reduced to the extent of a point, then it is called subtle and it is called somewhat transcendental. So Bindu is the center of all the yantras. These yantras, they influence the deeper unconscious layers of the mind. A thought influences the conscious layer of the mind. If I show you a beautiful flower, it will influence your mind. It's oh beautiful. If, if I show you something very ugly, it's always dirty because it is influencing your conscious mind. There are things that can influence your conscious mind and there are things which can uh, spontaneously influence your subconscious mind even if you do not know. But I'm not talking about the influences on conscious and subconscious mind. Now I'm talking about influencing the unconscious. Unconscious in Tantra, is a very powerful reservoir of mental or mental or spiritual or divine or undefinable potential. Don't use any name, don't say divine or anything. There is a reservoir somewhere within you. Well, within you or outside you, I don't know. There comes a moment when you are neither outside nor inside. It is untapped reservoir of potential. It is a dormant potential state. It is sleeping. It is unmanifest. That is called unconscious in Tantra. Well, I am not trying to use the word unconscious which the modern psychology uses. If the term unconscious in modern psychology was properly interpreted in terms of yoga, then it would also mean the same, but then there it means beginning of insanity. 
here it begins it talks about beginning of wisdom not beginning of insanity what is it this is called kundalini which is not she which is not he which is not it and whatever we say we don't say adequately we are only giving you a glimpse it has been defined by various ways in tantra and it is to influence that unconscious state of your being that you have to take up certain practices certain things you cannot go there through intellect my kundalini is awakening now it is up to navel now it has gone up to anahat it's all rubbish don't mind if you say it when it begins to wake up you don't know that you are take a few bottles of scotch whiskey or champagne you forget your name and form you forget your honor and prestige you forget your status your dignity and you can believe what happens when awakening of kundalini takes place you can even you will forget your time and your space so don't say that my kundalini is awakening now through auto suggestion no auto suggestion unconscious is beyond auto suggestion it is beyond all religious ideals or religious practices of course religious practices in course of time may enable you to be able to handle something that's another matter but this particular practice yantra can deal with the exploration and awakening of this unconscious being which is in you and this unconscious being is known by various names in tantra there is a very important practice called tattva shuddhi i would like to tell you just a little bit about it and i hope there should be the literature here about tattva shuddhi is a practice in tantra which is not done every day but which is done once in a year for 11 or 12 days and in this practice of tattva shuddhi the body is considered to be a yantra <laughs> you are you are just a, you are just a geometrical map here you are the central circumference here you are the triangle and here you are the square you are just a geometrical pattern you are the yantra and in these yantras then you have different colors from the top to the bottom you don't have just one color because you are not one color you are i mean even myself we are a mixture we are a combination of three uh, primitive three primordial colors these three primordial colors representing the three states of the prakriti nature these three states of nature are known as sattva equilibrium rajas activity motion progress and evolution tamas hibernation dormancy these three states are represented by three colors and we are a combination of all these three sometimes sattva becomes a prominent predominant because that is how our teachers our gurus our priests our books teachers all the time to be sattvic so intellectually or philosophically or sectarian 
sect-wise, sect-wise, religion-wise, we are sattvic, right? Be good, do good. Be kind, be compassionate. We believe in this, don't we? We believe in this. This is our sattvic belief. But what are we? On the top, we are sattvic. On the intellectual plane, we are sattvic. In the realm of philosophy, we are sattvic. In the realm of religious beliefs, we are sattvic. In the realm of our social conventions, so on and so forth, we are sattvic. But are we really sattvic? We are rajasic. How do you say we are rajasic? Because we have desires. Accept it. Every moment we have desires. There is not a moment when we pass without desires. There may be ordinary desire, want. I want a cup, a glass of water. I want to drink tea, or I want to go, I want to come, I want to this, I want to that. But there may be very powerful desires. Desires to be world leader. Desire to be a prophet. Desire to be Messiah. Messiah. Desire to be a big guru. These are called desires and cravings and wants and passions. And that is the sign of the presence of Rajoguna in us. So we have so much of Rajasic stuff in us that the sattvic frame cannot hold it properly. Sometimes it breaks. Sometimes very good people are become criminal and they are jailed because they are only trying to hold the fire by an ordinary, what you call, the plastic cover. And it breaks and they go to jail. Many, sw many swamis, many gurus, many priests, many good people, so-called good people, so-called good people, there is so many things because our nature is essentially rajasic. Now, therefore, how is it possible for us to purify that structure of our personality about which we don't even know very much, nor do we want to accept it, and if we accept it, we go insane. We have then so many complexes about us, we have so much of guilt about us, we have so many things about us, then we can't function properly in our day-to-day -day life. As such, the sadhana of tattva shuddhi is of paramount importance before taking to any tantric practice, whether it is Kriya Yoga or Mantra Yoga or any other powerful yogic and tantric practices. Because this Tattva Shuddhi is something like cleaning, cleansing the whole vessel, the whole structure, the whole body and the whole mind and thereby trying to create a, a congenial atmosphere. The importance of Tattva Shuddhi lies in realization of that being in us which is ruling our destiny, which is controlling our actions, which is controlling our thoughts every minute and they call it Papa Purusha. Christians will understand it better as they call it the eternal sin. Call Papa Purusha that being which makes us to commit those acts which rebound on us again and again. There are karmas which do not rebound. 
दे आर कॉल्ड निष्काम कर्म योगा दैट इज कर्मा डन विथ टोटल डिटैचमेंट कर्मा डन विथ सेल्फलेसनेस एनी कर्मा एनी एक्शन डन विथ सेल्फलेसनेस विथ टोटल डिटैचमेंट डज नॉट रिबाउंड ऑन अस इट डज नॉट क्रिएट पापा इट डज नॉट फीड दैट बींग but any action which is done with the intention of uh, motive or fulfillment of a motive rebounds on us again and again thereby the papa purusha that being becomes more powerful and when that being becomes more powerful then the chances of enlightenment then the chances of inner awareness is remote you can't go now the important thing is whereas in other forms of yoga meditation is achieved by practice you know it by constant effort patanjali says in raj yoga sutras go on again and again practice by constant relentless practice by personal effort by purifying the mind by perfecting the asana by holding on to the breath etc etc you bring your your mind to one pointedness tantra says something else you should now be prepared to listen to it meditation is an effect of awakening of kundalini kundalini awakening of kundalini is not an effect of meditation you will mark my words with very careful meditation is an effect of the awakened kundalini when through the practice of mantra yoga the realization of the yantra takes place sounds are heard forms are seen smells are smelt fears are experienced not to the extent that you are sent to mental hospital then there comes a moment when awakening takes place and the moment that awakening takes place mind drops because the concept of mind is based on avidya as long as there is divided field of energy there is this worldly mind once the unified field of energy is realized then the duality of this in individual mind and the cosmic mind or the universal mind is completely mitigated if 15 or 20 or a number of pitchers containing water are placed in a well of water they are divided there is water inside the pitcher there is water outside the pitcher in the well but still they are not unified because there is a barrier and what is that barrier is the pitcher you break it once the number of pitchers that you have put in the well are broken then the water of the pitcher and the well of the water that mingles that is called unified field of energy when the individual consciousness and the universal consciousness become one and this unified field the theory We, we have studied about it in the modern science also a little bit this unified field theory can be best understood 
by understanding the relationship between the individual mind and the universal mind. And the individual mind and the universal mind are not two different entities, they are one and the same. The only thing is individual mind is containing its own stuff, its own karma, its own samskara it is carrying. You destroy those karmas and samskaras. So, in tantric system of meditation, you have first mantra, then comes yantra, and then awakening of kundalini takes place. Now, talking about the awakening of kundalini, I have already explained to you in my way that in us there is an untapped, unknown, reservoir of a mysterious substance. I would, you can call it energy, you can call it substance, you can call it something, whatever you like. The yogis have preferred to call it Kundalini. They have used the word Kundalini uh, because it is situated in the pit. Although most books in Kundalini Yoga talk about the coil, without meaning anything to those authors, including myself once, I also wrote that way. I didn't know then. I was only consulting the books then. I thought that there was a serpent in coil. So in Sanskrit, the word Kundal means coil. Kundal, K-U-N-D-A-L, Kundal in Sanskrit means coil. But in Sanskrit, the word Kundalini is derived from the word Kunda, K-U-N-D-A. Kunda means a deeper place of fire. Where fire is lit is called Kunda. You, have, you may have known that in India people lit the fire in a place, a deeper place, and when the fire is lit, they <coughs> offer a mixture of barley, uh, sesame, cow's butter, uh, maybe one or two things more, I don't remember. They, they mix that and they offer it to the fire. This particular place is called Kunda. And this Kundalini is that particular reservoir in us which is situated in the pit. And where is that pit? Is it in the subtle body or is it in the causal body or is it in the gross body? According to Sankhya philosophy, according to Tantric philosophy, and according to Vedanta philosophy, of course there are many, many levels of bodies, but all of them are broadly classified into three. One is called the gross body, which of course you see now here, Everything has a gross body, the tree has a gross body, the animals have gross bodies, creatures have gross bodies, oceans and continents have gross bodies, they are called stula, gross body, which can be perceived by the senses.
through the eyes, through the nose. And then the second classification of the bodies is called the subtle bodies. Subtle bodies are those bodies which cannot be perceived through the gross medium of the senses, which can be understood by the deeper senses like mind, like intellect, intuition, psyche, etc. Then there is the third classification of the bodies that is called causal body. This causal body is called Karan Sharira. This relates to the processes of causality in the whole universal scheme. In the universe, in the process of creation, you remember, if you have studied, there are three things, time, space and causality. This is the third thing called causality, which is concerned with the causal body. And this causal body is not something, but it is a constant, it is a constant interaction between cause and effect of different things that are happening inside you and different things that are happening outside you. Well, difficult to define. It's called Karana Sharira. It is this Karana Sharira which is considered to be the unconscious. This is the Karana Sharira which is supposed to be the seat of Kundalini. And where is this Karan Sharira to be represented, to be fixed, to be allotted in this? Are these three bodies separate from each other? Or do they live into each other? Just like the butter in the milk. And, uh, butter in the milk? Yeah, butter in the milk. <laughs> butter in the milk and milk in the butter. Where is butter in the milk and where is the milk in the butter? The three bodies are interbursed. They are mixed up, kitchen, kitchen. They are mixed up. And you have to separate them by constant practice. And therefore, in this physical body, considering this physical body as the base, now we have to decide and define which is the place in this physical body for that particular uh, faculty of the subtle body. Thought. Where, where is thought? Emotion. Which is the seat of emotion? Where? Here? Here or here or here? Where is the seat of passion? Where is the seat of fear? Of course, there are subtle things, but there is a seat in this physical body for them. In the same way, where is the seat of Kundalini in this physical body? Where is the seat of the causal body? Is the seat of the causal body up on the head? Or is the seat of the, Kund is the, seat of the causal body somewhere here in the navel, the stomach? The yogis have made it distinctly clear and there are no two opinions about it that it is in Muladhar Chakra that the seat of Karan Sharira, the seat of the causal body, the seat of universal unconscious or the seat of individual unconscious is to be fixed. It is there. And where is that Muladhar Chakra? Mula means Primordial, that is the literal meaning. Mula means primordial, the root. Adhara means basis, substratum, the foundation on which something can stand. Support, I am supported by this rostrum. I am sitting here. If it is removed, I will fall down. So this is the Adhara. Mula Adhara is the primordial basis 
for the consciousness of body, human being, of the human existence. And where is it again? Where is our basis? Where is our support? Where do we spring from? We spring from mother's uterus. At the root of the uterus in the female, behind the cervix, there is a tiny place, there is a tiny point, there is a tiny place, which is the fixed point of Muladhar Chakra. And it is there that the primordial, universal, unconscious is to be accepted. In the masculine body, it is at the root of the spine, in between the urinary and excretory points in the perineum, you can there is a very little tiny space, it may be as tiny as a point, that this causal body is to be seen and to be understood. This is the accepted seed of Kundalini in this physical body. But kindly remember, as I tell you, although I am telling you the physical points of Kundalini, Kundalini is not at all physical. It does influence the physical body in course of time, uh, when the awakening takes place, the elements of the body can change, the structure of the body can change, and uh, the metabolism in the body can change, the nature of the body can change, the nature of the mind can change, the subtle nature, the gross nature, the gross body, and the subtle body can change, or may not even change sometimes. But it is not subtle and it is not gross. It is beyond both. But for the sake of understanding and for the sake of facility, I must explain it to you that gross body and the subtle body and the causal body, though they are three distinct planes of this universal reality, but they are interspersed, intertwined with each other, so close to each other that you have to explain three of them by comparison, not without comparison. There have been many talks about it. People said that we dissected the whole spinal cord, we didn't find the chakras. How can you find it? How can you find it? In the same way, if you dissected the transistor, where do you find BBC? You won't find there, because that is, that is the basis of energy, that is the basis of the reception. But if you completely take away all the things, you won't find anything in the transistor. You won't find anything there. In the same way, if you dissect the spine cord, you won't find the chakras, you won't find the lotus flower, four petals, and eight petals, and twelve petals, and sixteen petals, with the mantras, even if you hear yam, wam, ram, lam, nothing, no sound. No sound. You can't hear any sound. You see, we are talking about the causal body by trying to make this physical body as the base in order to understand. And if you are able to understand, then you can completely transcend the descriptions of the physical body and talk about the Kundalini direct. Now, awakening of Kundalini is something, in a few moments are close, is an experience which is very powerful. Whatever it is, it is very powerful. And when it begins to happen, 
then you don't have to think how to meditate. You don't have to concentrate the mind. Moments before, your mind was jumping like a monkey. A moment before, your mind was just uh, moving hither and thither with thought, in thoughts and worries and anxieties and fears. And suddenly, the awakening takes place. Everything seems to stand still. Buddha said the same thing. Buddha said the same thing. Om Tatsat. <coughs> For the aspirants of yoga, it is necessary that they acquaint themselves with the tantric philosophy or the philosophy of the tantras. For many years, tantra was mispronounced and it was misinterpreted and even now in West and East both when you say Tantra they do not have a very uh, good picture about it. More than that they think that it is a science of magic and that it has nothing to do with the development of self-awareness. So, the practitioners and the teachers of yoga should acquaint themselves with the philosophy of Tantra. Tantra, in my opinion, has lived with the advent of man. Right from the beginning, we would not say that 10,000, 20,000 years with the advent of man. When the man began to experience extraordinary behavior of the mind in some people from time to time, he began to question what was it? In any society, whether it's European society or Indian society, you come across people from time to time, you come across people who are endowed with special powers like clairvoyance, telepathy, uh, the power of premonition, foretell the things like Messiah, prophets. And the man, with his advent, began to experience these things in some people who were able to handle the society, to help the people, and to tell them something, or to give them some guidance which they normally could not even think of. So, in the beginning, they thought that this power which this man has achieved 
should be some spirit. The spirit must have possessed him, and now he is making predictions and prophecies, Saturn, as you call it. And there were many other theories, it is not necessary to dwell in those, but this was a very popular explanation that this person has some spirit under his control and that's why he's doing it. But later they found, no, it is not true. It was not the spirit, but it was the inherent faculty of man which he was able to express, that's all. The truth, the knowledge, what he is expressing was in him, it was a part of him, it was within him, and he was just expressing it. They say, hey, if that be so, then I can also do it. <laughs> if that be so, if that man can be a prophet, I can also be a prophet. It's not a question of uh, invoking a spirit. But then they wanted to find, then they began to find out what is the method of the development of this extrasensory abilities. Sometimes they say divine qualities. Sometimes they say siddhis, etc., etc. Now these people went on experimenting different methods. Some practice penance in the mountain for six years, rigorous penance. Some said, if you do penance, you'll get it. <laughs> Some people started having, using the drugs, you know, not hashish, like soma. In Veda, the word comes as soma, juice. They used to take that and used to develop their consciousness and used to think about very high things. Soma and many other drinks they developed. But still that didn't work. They found it's okay. It does work, but not with everybody. Then the religious practices, non-religious practices, use of drugs, practice of mantra, practice of all kinds of yoga, etc. came about, they are called sadhanas, they are called sadhanas, the practices. Practices for what? Practices for liberating the energy. Practices for liberating the energy. You have that energy, everyone has it. As every portion of milk has butter in it, or every portion of sesame has oil in it. In the same way, every portion of man has that energy. It has to be extracted. This process of extraction is called liberation. What you hear in the books, nirvana, liberation, mukti, emancipation, salvation, they are not religious words. That they are, these words denote a scientific process, a systematic process taking place as regards to your own 
faculties. This is called Tantra. <laughs> the whole thing I am talking about is called Tantra. So Tantra has gone through lot of experiments from with the advent of man. Even you will be surprised, of course, drugs and the soma and the bhang and ganja hashis. And of course, these there they used to go to burial ground in the middle of the night and smear their body with the ashes of the dead body. You, you know all this. You might have read in the books. And they used to go and drink a lot and pick up women and have sexual intercourse and stimulate their consciousness. <laughs> they tried each and every method whichever they came across, whether socially acceptable or not. <laughs> they were not, of course, indulgent people, even if they did it, I believe so. There may be, we may be indulgent if we do. But these people were not indulgent. They were sincere seekers of the Shakti. I'm not using the word truth, huh? Sincere seekers of Shakti. And when they came to know that this is a method of uh, exploring and discovering and possessing and achieving the Shakti, said, let us go. Drink <laughs> wine, I eat meat. <laughs> But of course, in course of this experiment, who knows how many million people must have failed. <laughs> but those who survived, you can have their names in history. Buddha, Mahabir, Christ, Moses, Zoroaster. You understand? A few names are shining from whom you can understand that these people did succeed. <laughs> and when they have succeeded, what did they do? Let us see. What did Buddha do and how did he live? What did Christ do and how did he live? How did Mahabir or Moses, anybody, or this saint or that saint, what kind of life he led? Then these life histories came to us. And when these life histories came to us, sincere seekers, Many times did not dare to accept it because there were many saints who inflicted tortures upon them. They were very they were undergoing pain throughout life or sickness and disease and pain. Many times the sincere seekers like us thought, yeah, it's a good way, but I can't undergo that pain. It's too much for me. I can't stand it. I want a little more comfortable and pleasant way. You understand? Lazy people's way. <laughs> a little, I mean, getting up at three o'clock in this cold and doing all kinds of things and going to the Himalayas and the mountains, eating only half a time or once in two or three days. Oh, no, it's not possible for me. <coughs> Buddha spoke about the golden path, what he called it, the golden path, the medium, Madhyama Marga. A path which is totally balanced. He used to say, tune thy sitar. Sitar means, you know, next string. Violin, sitar, or guitar. Tune thy sitar, neither too low nor too high. If your tune is too high, it will break. If it's too low, nothing will come. Tantra, therefore, is a science which talks about the expansion of mind, item number one. 
and liberation of Shakti, item number two. All the practices which we hear and which we will know in future from the different books, they are intended either for expansion of mind or liberation of energy. These are the two things which define Tantra and there is no other definition of Tantra. If there is any definition, it is not acceptable according to the tradition. Expansion of mind, when you are quietly sitting in your room and suddenly you hear a, you hear a voice and say, get out of the room quickly. And you go out of the room and suddenly you find there is earthquake, the building has gone down. Now you ask, what is this? What happened? Who was speaking? Who was speaking? Who was he, this man? Was it God? No, but God. There are people like us who are completely, who believe in dialectical materialism, who think matter is total and ultimate. There is no place of God and divinity in the mind. You know, intellectuals today, what they think like. No, it can't be God. It must be something else. <laughs> then they come to know there is an expanded state of mind. When the mind can experience beyond the given and defined categories. Here is a mic. I can see it. It's a defined category. There is an object. I can experience it. But there is no mic. And still I see the mic. What is it? There is a microphone, I can see it because the object is there, the eyes are here. There is interaction between the senses and the object and a perception and experience, gross experience is taking place. But if there is no microphone here, but still I see the microphone, what is it? It can be said as hallucination, but hallucination too must be explained. How does hallucination take place? Your present state of mind must have undergone a change for experiencing that hallucination. Otherwise, how can you experience it? Inasmuch as gross experience is a category of experience, hallucination is also a type of experience by the mind. The object may or may not be there. This is called expansion of minds. If you read the books by saints, Christian saints, Hindu saints, Muslim saints, Sufis, eh? and other latest writers, they are talking about this. An experience which, an experience which transcends the laws of the mind, <laughs> an experience which transcends the laws of the mind. Once a person was staying in a Bombay hotel, Taj, he was a Swiss gentleman, I have forgotten his name, and he found in his room Swami Shivananda coming in, knocking the door, coming in. And he was surprised how Swami Shivananda was there. But later on he found that Swami Shivananda never came to Bombay. <laughs> what to talk of Taj? <laughs> but whatever guidance Swami Shivananda provided to him that evening in Bombay. That became the guiding factor of his life all throughout. 
He was known as Swami Krishna Prem of Uttar Vrindavan Almora. Very famous name. His name was Mr. Some Nixon Pixel. I don't really remember his name, but that became the guiding factor of his life. That experience which he had, that is called expansion, due to the expansion of mind. Now, <coughs> the word expansion of mind in Sanskrit is known as tanoti, T-A-N-O-T-I, expanse. And liberation is called trayeti, T-R-A-Y-A-T-I. And that is the etymological, literal meaning of tantra. Tanoti trayeti, that which expands your mind and liberates the shakti, is called tantra. Now you understand the literal meaning? The, the basic philosophy of tantra is dualistic. This you must remember. There are philosophies, doctrines, monothe- uh, monotheistic, like Christianity, monotheistic. Vedanta, monotheistic, they believe in one. Islam, huh? monistic, yes. Monism, Advaita. Vedanta is Advaita, one, no two. Christianity, Advaita, no two. Islam, Advaita, no two. But Sankhya says not one, but two. He says the, the, the eternal, the primitive, the original, the first substance is duality. Not, un, not one. I mean, according to Sankhya, I mean, according to Tantra, if there is a God, he is not alone. He has a wife. <laughs> I'm just making a joke. If he is there, he is not alone, he has a wife. <laughs> or she has a husband. It's a beautiful idea, it's a very complete idea. I mean, there is a God, he has no wife, how, how did he create us? <laughs> so this Two things in Tantra are known as Shiva and Shakti. They are the names Shiva and Shakti. They are eternal couples. They have lived before the creation started. They have lived when everything was unmanifest, when everything was unseen, invisible when there were no sun and no moon and no oceans and no stars, no elements, everything was in the primordial state, it is even then these two existed together in embrace of each other, Shiva and Shakti. This concept of Shiva and Shakti later in Sankhya philosophy becomes the concept of Purusha and Prakriti. And now it is the principle of matter and energy. Einstein, Newton, you know, matter and energy. What you talk about matter and energy, what they say Purusha and Prakriti, Tantra is talking Shiva and Shakti. Now, in order to explain, let us say husband and wife, but there is nothing like that. I think throughout the creation, wherever you go, whichever element you follow, whichever 
happening, you see, there is always we find an interaction of duality. Without interaction of duality, creation cannot take place. The first sloka, the first stanza of Ananda Lahri makes it very clear. Ananda Lahri is a composition, poetic composition of Tantra. Uh, Sir John Udroff, Swami Sivananda, many other Swamis have translated it. Waves of Bliss, the name of the book is called Waves of Bliss, Ananda Lahari. He says in the first stanza, without two coming in action, in interaction with each other, there cannot be creation. That is the first principle. Second principle, it is important that Shakti has to come as a prominent interactor not Shiva. Shakti can create without Shiva and Shiva cannot create without Shakti. Now this is a very scientific question which we will have to decide whether uh, a single principle can create any other substance. They say, if it is a male principle, it can't. If it is female principle, it can. Because the female principle has in it the inherent capacity of duality. That means a woman has both, a man has only one. This is the basic tantric philosophy in which they say that Shiva and Shakti both are present in each and every speck of creation whether you accept them in the form of matter and energy, whether you accept them in the form of matter and consciousness. Now therefore, the very explanation of your existence is redefined. A materialistic philosopher will say that you are a combination, you are born of the interaction between sperm and ova. And, as a human being, you have the body with bones and marrows and blood and skin and this and that. Tantra says it's all right. Because interaction has to take place, not at one level. It is not only the action, interaction between the sperm and ova that is responsible for your creation, that is responsible for your physical body. But behind this physical body, within this physical body, the, there is an invisible substance called the mind. And this mind can't be a product of sperm and ova. It has to be a product of the deeper laws of nature uh, controlling the whole body and mental processes. And this mind, according to Tantra, is a combination of 24 dravyas. Dravya means substances. How you make a vegetable? It has one substance, vegetable, another substance, water, third, salt, fourth, spices, fifth, butter. You see, it's called substance, dravya. How is mind composed of? Is mind a homogeneous principle? No. Mind is not homogeneous. It is a combination of 
24 or some say 26 dravyas, substances, items or elements. And these 24, when they come together, then they form the mind. And when there is mind, there is knowledge. When there is no mind, there is no knowledge. Through senses, there is action, karma. Through the senses, through the indriyas, through the senses like hands and feet, there is action. There is no knowledge. If you had no mind, well, if you had only eyes, you could see colors, flowers, animals, men, women, objects, but you would not know. There has to be an interaction between the body and the mind. There has to be an interaction between the senses and the mind. Then only the knowledge is complete. If my mind is withdrawn just now, and your mind is withdrawn just now, you would only see me and I would only see you and not know what's happening. That's happened with most animals. You are talking so many politics in your room, the dog listens to it but doesn't understand. <laughs> he only understands puppet, at once he comes. But otherwise he's there. You can talk about Mr. Regan, you can talk about Thatcher, you can talk about Gandhi, you can talk about anything, you can talk about all hopeless things. He, knowledge, he's, he's listening. His brain is registering the sound waves. His brain is registering the sound waves, but it's not interpreting to his brain. That mind, that called Chetana. This is called Chetana, that is called the faculty of knowledge is not present. I know I'm talking to you. I know that I know that I'm talking to you. I get pain, I know I'm getting pain. And I know that I know that I'm getting pain. But a dog is barking, it doesn't know it is barking. <laughs> because it is guided by the instinct, by the senses. The quality of mind, chetana, awareness, has not developed. Through the practice of Tantra, you try to expand the mind beyond the defined categories. Because according to Tantra, the perception which you are having is not ultimate, is not final. There are many things in this room which you can't see. <laughs> well, I'm not talking about ghosts. I'm talking about magnetic waves, electromagnetic waves, radio waves. So many waves might be passing from here. Do you see anything? No. But you put a transistor and you know it is here. You can find BBC, All India Radio. At once you can find here, you can pick it up. It is here, you can't see. The mind has to work beyond the given frontiers and beyond the given laws. For that, you have to break the mind. In order to break the mind, there are two ways. First of all, whatever you are experiencing through the mind, whatever you are knowing through the mind, whatever knowledge is proceeding through the mind, you must challenge it and say, is it final? Is it absolute? That is what in Vedanta they have done. In Vedanta philosophy they have challenged the experiences of the waking life. 
Shankaracharya made it very clear. He said, Absolute Brahman is truth. The perception of this world through the mind and the senses is relative, is not absolute, is not true. That means we can always change the the tool of perception. And when we can change the tool of perception, then we can go beyond gross. In Tantra, they say there, there are many worlds behind this and within this. The mind can assume any quality in order to experience different things. So now, we come to the practical side. They categorize finally in Tantra. Is it necessary that you should be a good guy if you want to practice Tantra? Well, religions will say, no, no, you must be tip-top, eh? don't drink and don't do this, don't do that. You know, don't do this, don't do that, don't do this and don't do that. This is what every religion will say. And you go to any guru or any teacher, if you ask them spiritual life, they, I mean, they teach things later. First they say, don't do this and don't do that. In Tantra you will never find it, don't do this and don't do that. <laughs> he says, whatever you are is okay, but you just practice sadhana. You may be a wretched person, you may be a saint, you may be a debauch, you may be a good person, you may be a charitable person full of compassion and grace, it doesn't matter. There's no qualification. We have seen many good people in this world who have come and gone without having any spiritual illumination. And we have also come across even the hopeless people like us that are able to get through and have the inner illumination, inner uh, experience, in order to practice Tantra, first of all, we must know that we are always qualified. There is no ethical or moral preparation. But important thing is Guru and Kriya. That's all. Guru means, you understand, Kriya also, you understand, the practice. And the practices are Mantra, Yantra, uh, and what is it? Mantra, Yantra, Mandala. That's all the Tantric practices. If you want to do it, you do it. <laughs> but that has nothing to do with it. The practice of Mantra, the use of Yantra, and mandala. These are the threefold practices which reduce the mind to zero, to the main bindu, one point. And the mind which is uh, flowing to all directions, which is having diverse experiences, 
is reduced to one point called Bindu. This name is called Bindu. And that from that one point, the mind again proceeds, expands itself in the form of inner, psychic, transcendental, expanded experience. By mantra we mean the same which you get from your guru for your daily practice. Om Namah Shivaya or etc. This mantra is so important that if you practice half an hour, one hour, sometimes more, sometimes you must practice the whole day, Om Namah Shivaya, or mentally. Only think about that and create high frequency vibrations. Change the uh, mind and its experiences. Daily, half an hour, fifteen minutes. But once in a year or twice a year, whole day, go to retreat, have a little fruits and milk, close your eyes and practice mantra. To change the quality of mind, to make it experience deeper and subtler things, is not within the realm of anything. Religions have tried, but they have failed. At least they have no religion has been able to produce any spiritual genius. Spiritual geniuses have been used for the religion, but religion has not produced in history any spiritual genius. Similarly, many other paths which are very difficult, puritanistic in nature, have not been able to produce spiritual stalwarts. It is the tantric practices which someone must have got from his guru, whether he was Buddha or Christ or Muhammad. They must have got some sort of clue from some guru who must have told them, hey, you do it and you get it. I got it. You must try to find out that clue here and there somewhere. Hari Om Sanskrit.